0: Perhaps appearance or success or sporting achievement. Maybe innovation and technology has bound you. Or perhaps even lies that you've heard about yourselves and have stopped you becoming the people that God has created you to be. Perhaps things like you're not clever enough, or you're not beautiful enough, or you're not interesting enough. Or maybe the things that bind us in our lives are actually ideologies or philosophies things that have convinced us to stop looking anymore, to stop looking for anything more than we already know. And the ideas of atheism and humanism and secularism are doing this at the moment. They've grabbed people's attention. They've filled that God-shaped hole in many of our lives. And these things hold us and they convince us. And yet at the end of the day, are they just puny pieces of wood stuck in the ground that could easily pulled out if only people knew the real truth, the truth about Jesus. We're just going to spend a few moments holding one of the the world views that has dominated Western culture over the past 20 years or so up to some examination and it's this. You are free to choose how to live your life. I'm sure we've all heard it. You are free to choose how to live your life. In our world, individual freedom and personal choice are the name of the game, aren't they? You should be free to do whatever you want to do and live your life however you want to live it. Do what you want to do. Have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. Think whatever you want to think. Say whatever you want to say. React to whatever you want to react react to. It's your choice. It's your freedom, your life to do with as you please. And this ideology has been captured as truth by our society, something everyone has the right to live their life by. Everyone is free to choose to live their life. As they want, but is it actually true? Does it bring freedom? Is it real? Aren't there limits to our choices and our freedom? Well, yes, there are, because within this very ide- the, the ideology itself, you're only allowed to live your life in a way that doesn't affect or stifle somebody else's freedom. And if everyone is allowed to just do what they want, how do we judge what is right and wrong? Who says what harm is? So if we don't know what harm is or what truth is, on what basis do we judge any principle? A guy called Taylor has written a really interesting book on the secular society, and he points this out. To have any kind of livable society, some choices have to be restricted, some authorities have to be respected, and some individual responsibility has to be assumed. I heard recently of a school in America It was right in a city centre, and because of that, it didn't have a playground. Uh, And so in their genius, uh, the school decided uh, to build a playground on the top of the high-rise building. And to keep the children safe, you'll be pleased to know, they built a sort of cage around the edge of uh, the, the roof of the building, a big fence, so the children didn't fall off. But the parents did not like this. They felt that it was a cage that was keeping their children in. And, and so they appealed to the governance of the school to take down this fence and put something a little bit more aesthetically pleasing up instead of the chain link fence. Uh, and so the school uh, obeyed their wishes and built a, a glass fence that went around the edge of the building. But unfortunately, the children felt really unsafe up there because they couldn't see the edge of the building. And so all that happened was either the children did not go up to the playground and stayed inside or they stayed huddled in the middle of the building. What was meant to bring them freedom actually didn't give them any freedom at all. Well let's put it like this. I like running and I have uh, the freedom to try and be a good half marathon runner. Uh, but if I want to go sub 145, which is my nemesis, um, then I'll have to restrict my freedom in other areas of my life. I won't be able to eat or drink exactly what I want. I won't be able to just sit around and watch telly in my spare time. These things will have to be restricted in order for me to fulfill my goal of running sub-145. So therefore, freedom in its nature brings with it its own restrictions. And since the beginning of time, humanity has had a desire for knowledge and power, to be masters of our own lives, uh, to be masters of the society that we live in, and this myth That we can be completely free and live as we choose has dominated our very being. What society has held as self evident truth, when questioned and examined, begins to crumble. So, is there truth? And if so, what is truth? Or, more specifically, who is truth? And so we're going to hear now a letter that you'll find in the Bible. It's a letter that was written by the Apostle John, uh, one of Jesus' disciples. And it was written to a group of early Christians on this topic of truth. And GD is going to come and read it for us.
1: The second letter of John. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching... "'has both the Father and the Son. "'If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, "'do not take them into your house or welcome them. "'Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. "'I have much to write to you, "'but I do not want to use paper and ink. "'Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face "'so that our joy may be complete. "'The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, Send their greetings. Amen.
0: Thanks, Judy. So, John, this guy, is writing uh, this letter to the early church, Uh, and it's a culture that's um, really hungry for new ideas. Uh, And John knows that in this culture, there's also been a steep rise in missionaries and preachers traveling around. And these people um, have been affected by philosophies and ideas that have been prevalent in that Greco-Roman world. And they've been peddling some new ideas about Jesus and Christianity. And in many ways, they were suggesting that the good news about Jesus that the apostles had preached had been a a bit primitive or unsophisticated, whereas they, this new band of preachers, were like the spiritual elite, and they were saying, listen to us, ignore what you heard before. It's not really that important. We have the true message. But John's message in that reading we just heard uh, is really clear as he writes uh, to early Christians. He says this, Church, you need to get back to the truth, the true faith, the true message of Jesus Christ, which is fundamentally a message about love. We're living in in times that are extraordinarily different in many ways from these early Christians, but in some ways they're starkly similar as well. People are hearing all the time different message, new ideologies that are trying to suck them in, new sophisticated ideas uh, about life, but also about what it means to be a Christian, how to live your life, what truth is. And these things permeate into our very being and distract us from the truth and leave us with questions, maybe questions you've got, like, is there really any truth? Is there anything that I can really live my life by? Is there anything I can commit wholeheartedly to? And so John, in this letter he writes, is encouraging Christians to go back to or hold on to the true faith. And this true faith is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the truth, you see. And in him, we find true freedom, this freedom that everybody is searching for. In the Gospel of John, which is a different book in the Bible, uh, Jesus tells us uh, tells us that if we follow him, then we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. That's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? If you follow me, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, if Jesus is the truth, do you know him? Do you know the truth? At the heart of Christianity 2000 years ago and at the heart of Christianity today is the person of Jesus. I wonder if you've been a Christian for a while and have been distracted away from the person of Jesus. You've been caught up in church, you've been caught up in worship, in social action, in going through the motions, in activity and the person of Jesus has slipped the background of your faith. You've got tied to a little stake in the ground and you're missing out on that big picture. For some of you here, you might never have known this Jesus that I'm talking about and that we've been singing about. You might never really thought about him much, confining him to the pages of a children's storybook. But Christians believe that Jesus is the truth. And John, in this letter to the early Christians, was reminding people to hold on to the truth of Jesus as it's recorded in the Gospels, in the Bible. The Bible is where we find out about Jesus. And so we have to actually read it to find out, to come to know the truth, uh, to to chuck out the myths that abounded around about who Jesus is uh, and what he's done for us. When did you actually look at one of the Gospels, the stories about Jesus, and ponder the person and the power of Jesus? Last week, I had a a meeting arranged with uh, another clergyman in Edinburgh uh, who I didn't know. Well, at least I thought I didn't know him. Uh, I arrived in the cafe uh, where we were meeting, and this guy, Tony, looked strikingly familiar to me. And so, as you do, we spent five or ten minutes trying to work out how on earth we knew each other And we discovered that when I was a teenager, uh, he had been training to be a vicar. And he had actually spent quite a lot of time staying uh, with me and my family in our house. And at that time, I'd known him really well, and he'd known me really well. And after this guy, Tony, had got over the shock that I was that Libby, um, he said this. It's like I know you, but I don't know you. I know the 16-year-old you but I've got 25 years to catch up on. Maybe that's what Jesus feels like for you. You know the Jesus that you knew X number of years ago, but you don't know him now, and have got a lot of catching up to do. Let me challenge you to not leave church tonight without committing to get to know the real Jesus, the truth about Jesus. But maybe you've never known Jesus really, You sort of know a few basics about him, but you're not sure what is myth and what is true. And really you're here tonight, perhaps because you're here to support one of the baptism candidates. And you're thinking, what is all the fuss about? Well, Jesus is the truth. He is the son of the eternal father. He is the Word. He is the Logos, who was before all things. He existed eternally. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He was there at the beginning and will be there at the end. Jesus says he's one with the Father, not some lesser being, not some secondary God uh, or an elevated human being, but he is one with the Father and he is consumed by God. His thoughts were those of God. He said he, was, he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is love. He is the personification of goodness and faith in humility and truth and forgiveness. And yet wholly undeserved, he was subject to the most humiliating and torturous deaths. Accused as a criminal, he was flogged to an inch of his life. And then with his back raw he was forced to carry a wooden cross to a place of execution and he was nailed to that cross. And at any time he could have called on a legion of angels to rescue him. But there was a bigger reason he was pinned to that cross. And the bigger reason lies in God's ultimate plan for rescuing sinful humanity. And so Jesus died and his body was laid in a tomb. And then the truth is, is that Jesus couldn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and was seen by over 520 people in the next 40 days. He couldn't do this because he was a man, because a man cannot conquer death. He could only do this because he was God and God cannot die. Someone once said this, the only biography of anyone that does not end with death and burial is Jesus's. And so Jesus offers forgiveness and healing and love to those who believe in him and trust in him. And he says, come and share in this life. God gives us salvation. That is, he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us mercy. And he does not give us what we do deserve, and that's judgment. Why? Because Jesus is is love and he loves us entirely. And this is the truth of the Christian faith. A writer, Os Guinness said this, the Christian faith is not true because it works, it works because it's true. It is not simply true for us, it is true for anyone who seeks in order to find. Because truth is true even if nobody believes it and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. And the Apostle John was reminding those early Christians to get back to the truth, to hold on to the truth, the truth that is Jesus. So I wonder, do you believe in this truth? Do you know this truth? And do you live in the truth? A few years ago, a random random sample of Americans were asked to explain what faith is. The majority said faith is believing in the existence of God. A few years before, a similar survey had been done, and people had been asked what is faith, and they said, uh, "Well, it obviously means the existence of God," but they'd taken it a step further, and they said they talked about uh, trusting in God. Faith is trusting in God, and it was to do with relationship with God. And there's a massive difference between those two things. Because just believing in God can leave you unchanged. But trusting in God is to do with relationship. And therefore, it's transformational. I'm sure many of us here have seen the film, The Shawshank Redemption. It's one of the greatest films of all time. I'm sure you'll agree. And the story is about a guy called Andy who's put in one of the hardest, harshest prisons in America for a double murder uh, that he claims he didn't commit. Andy is someone who has an inner power and an inner hope and a real sense of hope. After a really severe beating uh, that he gets one day, the warden uh, gives him some special privileges in exchange for him helping out some of the other guards in the prison with their finances. And one day he's in the warden's office sorting through some stuff and he comes across a record and he decides to put this record on a record player and listen to it. This is a place where there has been no music. There has been nothing of beauty at all since he's been there. And he's just taken over by the wonder of this music, this aria that's being played. And so he locks the door of the warden's office and switches on the loudspeaker system. And suddenly this incredible music pervades the whole of this prison. And the, the other men in the prison, as you'll see in the picture there, just simply stop. Their lives in that moment are transformed by the beauty of that that, uh, music into the darkness and the desolation and the desperation of their lives in that harsh prison. Beauty and hope and freedom come and they are transformed. When we hear about Jesus, when we experience his love in our lives, do we allow him to actually transform us? Or do we get so wrapped up in the ways of the world that we obsess will bring us freedom and truth and life, that we don't let Jesus' love transform us? Instead, we settle for a half-baked freedom of the world when, with Jesus, we could be enjoying life and life in all its fullness. Maybe some of you here are students or at school I wonder if you've ever had that moment of discovery, where you find something out, or that piece of knowledge that you've been searching for suddenly clicks into place, and you feel like your work, and in fact your whole world that day, is completely transformed. Well, coming to the realization that Jesus is the truth, and then following him and living your life completely for him, can and should transform us day in, day out whether you became a Christian 20 years ago, 10 years ago, last year, today. Knowing Jesus doesn't and shouldn't leave us the same as we were before. So think back now to the elephant at the beginning of my talk. A massive creature, capable of lifting whole trees, yet held by that puny piece of wood. Are you held by a puny piece of wood Or are you ready to accept the truth of Jesus and live in the transforming power and freedom that knowing him brings? So I just want to end with a short story as we finish. It's a story of a rich man, a rich man who had a son, and he and his son had a shared interest, which was art. They loved collecting art because he was quite wealthy. He had some very nice paintings, including some Picassos. His son uh, was called up by the military in America, and he ended up actually uh, getting killed in in the Vietnam War as he sought to save the life of another soldier. A month later, there was a knock on this rich man's door, and it was the man whose life uh, his son had rescued in Vietnam. And he had with him another painting, a painting that he had painted himself, of the rich man's son. And he said to the older man, you know, your son, he was my friend, and I loved him too, and he spoke so highly of you as a father. And I painted him one day when we were out in the jungle, and so I want you to have this painting of him. And the father loved and treasured that painting of his son. A few years later, the older man died, and all his works of art were sent to an auction. And the auction began, and the first piece of art put up in the auction was the picture of the sun. And the experts sort of looked at it and complained and said, you know, this isn't real art, we don't want to bid on this. Uh, But the auctioneer asked for bids, but nobody responded. And he insisted, the sun, you know, this picture of the sun, who's going to take the sun? And eventually, a frail old gentleman that was in the audience at that auction put up his hand and he bid $10 for the picture. It was all he'd had. The man had been the gardener of the rich man and was retired now. As nobody else bid, the man got the painting for $10. And with that, the auctioneer laid down his gavel and declared, I'm sorry, the auction's now over. And there was absolute outrage in the audience, as you'd imagine. And they were saying, well, what about the real paintings? We've been waiting to bid on the real paintings. And the auctioneer said, you know, I'm sorry. The will stipulated that whoever bought the painting of the sun would inherit the entire estate, including all the other paintings. The man who took the sun gets everything. God is asking us today, the sun, the sun, who'll take the sun? Because whoever has the sun has everything. Who of us will live that truth today? Let's just pray.